0: Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jurgen Strauss from InnovaBuzz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to InnovaBiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast.
1: My definition of of marketing is just um, starting conversations and getting conversions. It's just this idea of showing up to help rather than sell, and then trying to turn that into action of some kind, whether it's a click, a like, a buy. Um, ultimately, getting it is just about starting a conversation, isn't it? And when you know who you are and why you do what you do, and that you're tapping into something you're actually really passionate about, starting those conversations is something you know that is literally your favorite thing to do which then makes that marketing so natural and easy.
0: Welcome back. I hope you've had a fabulous week so far. If you haven't yet listened to my recent conversations with Brian McMahon of Expert Dojo and Bob Coolhan of Business Improv, then do check them out. But only after you've listened to today's episode, of course. I'm really excited to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest today, Jane Nicole Smith. Nick, as she likes to be known. She's a marketing specialist, an artist, and an author. Her purpose and passion are to help petpreneurs find freedom and fulfillment by building brands instead of just businesses. She's dedicated to helping entrepreneurs avoid poverty and burnout by finding their unique and sustainable competitive advantage and using it to stand out in an incredibly saturated marketplace. She believes your business is not your baby, it's an experiment, and it exists to support you, not the other way around. In our discussion today, Nick talked to me about finding and articulating your why through why mapping. We talked about building an audience around that why. And we talked a lot about the psychology of colour and how it applies to your business. Without further ado, then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Nick Smith. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited today to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, all the way from London in the UK, Nick Smith she's a marketing consultant and artist and author she helps entrepreneurs find their big why and apply it creating freedom and fulfillment by building brands that matter instead of just the business welcome to the innova buzz podcast nick it's a real privilege to have you as my guest
1: no thanks for having me i'm really looking forward to it i know we have a lot in common in what we believe about marketing
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah now, Natasha Vronpiova, who was our guest on episode 311 of the Innova Buzz podcast, suggested that we have a conversation with you. So big shout out to Natasha. Hi,
1: Natasha. Thank you.
0: <laughs> now, in looking through your career, you started out as a commercial photographer. I think you did a lot of work with pets and then you owned a dog boutique and co-founded a multi-million dollar dog brand and now i'm guessing that marketing was something that you kind of learnt in building all those um, ventures um, and now you're helping other people with their marketing and branding so how did um, how did you kind of fall in love with that part of business
1: (laughs) yeah well when i started i was a college student and i got into the pet space because as a 20 year old i did what you should definitely do when you're a broke college student and adopted a great dane puppy <laughs> and that kind of descended me into that world, and I knew at an early age because of the internships and stuff that I'd done as a photographer that I really wanted to have a really strong niche, and so the pet space presented itself and was perfect for me as a new puppy mom um and it was an emerging, hugely emerging market at the time. I had no idea then just how successful the industry would be. it continues to grow, so it was it ended up being a really good choice, even though people gave me a lot of crazy looks when I told them I was a pet photographer back in 2005. <laughs> um, but what was really interesting is I was, I was also training as a graphic designer. So I have always sort of done photography and design side by side, which led me into the commercial world and doing a lot of work for brands instead of just you know, pet owners. And that catapulted me into a world of, of marketing um, and obviously, marketing communications, doing photography and design side by side. And around the time I started, we launched this brand, "Dog Is Good." I had uh, two business partners there; they had the name and the idea, and I was sort of the creative person to do the, the product design and the logo and all the you know copywriting that kind of thing. And so we set out to build this lifestyle brand for for dog lovers, which was T-shirts and hats and stickers and mugs. Um, in a category that didn't really exist at the time, because the only place you could kind of get that kind of thing was, at you know, dog shows, <laughs> things that were like, <laughs> not necessarily very um, fashionable. Um, so we kind of set out to create this brand. And what I learned in the process of building that business over um, years was just how powerful it is to be selling an idea or a feeling instead of just a thing. Because Mm. what we learned quickly was as we watched people interact with our products, we learned that what we were selling wasn't just a T-shirt or hat. It was selling the feeling that people actually felt when they were with their dog because they would relate so heavily to the language that we used in some of our sayings and artwork and stuff. And it gave them such a positive buzz. So that was a real um, takeaway for me. And when I moved to the UK, I met my husband and moved here in 2012. I ended up doing a master's in marketing which sort of capped off, you know, this 10 years of entrepreneurial service-based business and manufacturing business and really helped kind of, it was an incredible education in um, the way marketing is taught versus the marketing that I learned sort of in the school of hard knocks as being an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting though, you mentioned that, you know, selling ideas and selling feelings is is a key part of marketing and one of the things that i find quite fascinating looking at particularly when you look at advertisements for um, pet pet food is probably the thing regarding pets that's marketed the most through television advertising and so on and and i always wonder because it's um it's portrayed as you know this food is really great because your pet loves it and and it shows either dogs or cats, usually the typical um, home pets feasting on this this marvelous meal, and you get this idea of you know the cat the cat or the dog um, really likes this food better than some other food, but that's not who they're marketing to right they're marketing the feeling of having taken good care of the pet to the pet owner Absolutely. which I think is is a uh, a real fundamental lesson for all marketers
1: absolutely and it's nice to kind of learn that lesson in the pet space because it's such a it's so clear you know Mm. um to be to be selling a relationship it makes that lesson a little bit sort of quicker and easier to grasp i think than if you're trying to sell something like you know um widgets
0: (laughs) yeah So when did you transition out of running your own businesses um, directly in in that particular space and helping other entrepreneurs kind of learn the lessons that you've learned and um, apply to their business?
1: Yeah. So when I moved to the UK, I I did that degree, as I mentioned. And afterwards, I, I had to sort of Um, have a look at what I was gonna do in a new country and (laughs) um, with this new information. And um, basically what I did is I started the completely wrong business for me. So I set up this beautiful uh, pet boutique in Southwest London, which featured a lot of the products that I had worked for, a lot of the brands that I had worked with in the States and brought in a lot of these um, really great American sort of higher end products that you just couldn't get here in the UK. And also had a pet photography studio where I did that work for, for, for brands and pet parents. And it actually was more successful than I thought it was going to be. It was um, the photography grew like crazy. And um, even though we had very low foot traffic, because I, I built the shop about three minutes from my house because I didn't want <laughs> to commute, it did quite well. But I learned quite quickly that it was completely the wrong job for me, that I hated being stuck in one place. I felt like I was sort of at the height of my career in marketing and design and photography. And I was sort of spending all day scooping treats out, you know, for <laughs> my my lovely community friends. Um, and so I was a little bit bored and a little bit frustrated. I hated managing inventory and employees and cleaning and business rates and VAT and all the things. It was just completely the wrong fit for me. And then about almost two years in my my dog that I mentioned, that great Dane puppy I got who sort of started it all um, passed away. She was about 11 and a half, which was a great day, a great age for a dog that big. Um, but with her, I sort of lost my will to continue in that space. I knew the business had to change. I wasn't happy and losing her was kind of the catalyst of like, right. So I shut the store down and I sold it off in pieces. And then I had some (laughs) real tough work to do to figure out like who the heck I was without her, without this title of being this person in the pet space and or being a pet photographer or like, you know, my identity had been so tied up in this, in these businesses and in this industry and in these jobs. And I was trying to look past that to discover what I really had to offer. And most importantly, I think the big question we have to ask ourselves to avoid ending up in this situation is how I wanted to spend my time. And it was clear to me that I that was not through photography and design services anymore. And it was not being in one physical location. So I knew I had to find, I had to build a digital business and I needed to do that in a way that felt really exciting. And at the time I landed on helping petpreneurs, which was a phrase that I actually sort of coined at the time back in 2015, um, to grow their businesses. I transitioned from Directly providing services to providing um, coaching and consulting, and then I slowly started to move outside of that niche to helping um, other entrepreneurs as well. Because the lessons um, are the same, right? It's the same basic mm. concept. And I think my my view of brands, in particular, and what I discovered in that process was that my superpower is this sort of why finding um, skill that I have to help people answer a lot of those questions I was trying to answer for myself at that time.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I really like the idea of you know getting clear about your identity first and how you want to live your life. And one of the things you said in some of the material that I read was um, that your business, you believe your business is is not your baby. It's actually an experiment, and its kind of existence is there to support you, not the other way around. And Absolutely. a lot of entrepreneurs start off a business, and all they do is construct another job for themselves.
1: A hundred percent and i'm so So, glad you mentioned that because i think that is such a difficult lesson to learn and you know for me that lesson was very hard earned you know that's after like 12 years of my business being my baby so yeah absolutely
0: yeah so how how do you go about you talked about your genius being um helping people identify what their passion is and what you know what they identify with and how they can then turn that into a, a profitable business. How do you go about that process?
1: Um, yeah, great question. So I think part of my discovery was that the skills as a designer and a photographer and, and doing these things I was doing in marketing was um, a particular sort of mix of stuff that made me really, really good at being able to see past what people were saying, to be able to show them what they really meant. And I did that through images and design and words and products. And what I realized is that we all sort of need a mirror when we're going through that process of trying to figure this stuff out, find our purpose, like find our clarity, alignment with what we want to do. Those are almost impossible questions to answer by yourself because you just spin and spin and spin in this vortex of ideas and thoughts and questions. And when I actually went through this process myself, I created an actual exercise that I call Y mapping to actually get all that stuff out of your head, (laughs) literally get it down on physical paper, and then sort it in a way that gives it meaning. And what's really important about that is it's not just, um, it's not just, this is, this is the cool stuff in my head. And this is what I like, but it's a way to Discover what your really valuable skills and resources are, and for me, that is what building um a niche brand is all about is being able to leverage what you've got that makes you hard to compete with and you know i'm I'm a big fan of the idea of the category of one and sort mm-hmm. of creating that sort of um that unique difficult to compete with thing and I think the idea of the category of one is a great way to describe that and if you look into sort of literature on that concept, you'll see people talking about. Um, combining sort of two opposite skills that you have into one core offering um, or or identity, and that's exactly what I look to do inside the why mapping process is, is to find all those things and to find the two things that are the most opposite and find a way that they can be combined um, so that you can basically transition into selling your why, selling why you do what you do, which of course is something that um, Simon Sinek has has given us as a as a powerful mm. strategy. Um, instead of selling what you do. And in that way, not only do you make sure that you are well suited to compete, right? You have people are, it's very difficult for people to compete with you because you're not falling into any one category. Um, It it allows you to charge whatever you want because there is no sort of standard rate for this thing that you do because it's weird and wacky and unique Um, and allows you to have some of the key stuff that you need for marketing to be more human like i know you talk about that's really important to me where you have that natural authenticity and you're really focused on on the human side of a business but also to make marketing fun because as i started teaching marketing to people i learned very quickly that most people hate it
0: right yeah
1: um, so it's a way to kind of tap into what you've got naturally and use that instead of trying to be someone else or trying to fit into a box
0: hmm yeah i love that the 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 idea that yeah, a lot of people hate marketing. You know, the idea is that they kind of equate it with it's sort of sales, but not quite sales. So you know, sales. We don't like sales because it's yucky and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's the got this
1: manipulative of
0: the used the yeah. used car kind of salesman type thing. And but it's not quite sales. But I don't understand it, so it's so I'll just park it completely. So we large, overwhelming,
1: but, expensive. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I like to say that uh, marketing really is simply having a conversation with somebody who could potentially be an ideal customer. And and if you take that approach and then, you know, the bringing in the making it more human is really building relationships.
1: Absolutely. I I read that um and I absolutely love that because I see something very similar which is that my definition of of marketing is just um starting conversations and getting conversions. It's just this idea of showing up to help rather than sell and then trying to turn that into action of some kind, whether it's a click, a like, a buy, um, ultimately getting, it is just about starting a conversation, isn't it? And when you know who you are and why you do what you do and that you're tapping into something you're actually really passionate about, starting those conversations is something, you know, that is literally your favorite thing to do, which then makes that marketing so natural and easy.
0: Hmm. And I love love your process of uh, the, well i don't i don't understand the process of the why mapping but i love the idea that you start off with the you know self-awareness bit uh, really understanding who you are at the deep level because i think that's that's where we start too and i think that's where the a lot of people kind of miss um, get off on the wrong foot to start with and then you know the the marketing's broken right from the beginning so understanding who you really are and what's unique about you and then where does that fit so how do you how do you then take the next step so you've built this y map and you've discovered what's that unique conversation com, combination that makes me unique and what's the next step then how do you kind of discover where that can add value
1: well In my world, I think of the sort of four essential elements of a brand or business being first your why, then your who, then your what, then your where. So the next jump there is looking for people who believe what you believe. So when you're clear about what you believe and why you do things, it's then looking for who are the people who believe this or need this or want this. So my first step um, before you even know potentially what you want to sell is starting to build an audience around your why. Um, And that could be as simple as starting a free Facebook group and just having conversations with people, like we've said. Um, But ultimately, you're going to need that audience anyway, right? When you do know what you're ready to sell. And it's so nice to start that in an organic way where you are literally just having really interesting conversations about a specific topic or or belief. And that sort of whole process then necessitates being able to very, very effectively communicate your why. Right. So part of my why finding process is creating core copy, uh, creating brand pillars and a brand statement. And the why do we do what we do? Who do we do it for sort of language, especially that brand statement, which is that answer to the question, what do you do? Which can be so difficult to answer, right, without just throwing out your job description. (laughs) Um, And it's a it's a bit of language that you create and memorize and use over and over. You read mine at the beginning. I help entrepreneurs find freedom and fulfillment. By finding their big why and building a brand that matters instead of just a business, that's a brand statement I have memorized. I use it over and over. I use it at the beginning of videos, and it helps me communicate why I do what I do instead of just that I'm a marketing consultant, which is so vague right? What does that even mean? <laughs> um, so the language is key, but what um is even more interesting, and this is something I've been sort of innovating lately is being able to communicate more quickly with more emotion, so language is really great for that obviously but actually it's the third greatest thing the first greatest thing you have to create to communicate quickly and effectively with emotion is color and with my background as a designer i've been studying applied color psychology and looking at how to take the messaging that you're trying to say and be able to convey that instantly with color and the second most important tool you have is actually imagery it's photography So being able to take start with this scientific color palette, basically apply that to your photography and then also have the language that is the sort of very practical, tangible trifecta of things that allows you to both, you know, understand and then communicate that why in a way that you don't have to explain, you don't have to educate people. It's not complicated. They just get it when they land on your website or your Instagram because they feel it. And so it's a really interesting thing that I'm developing lately of how to combine those three most important assets. And you'll, you know, as a branding person, I don't really care about your logo. I don't really Mm. care about your fonts, (laughs) Um, but I really care about your colors, imagery and copy. And I think the Y finding process really helps to inform that in both a very deep, intuitive sort of spiritual way, and also a very practical scientific way where we can actually start to get really predictable behavior um, based on, uh, psychology,
0: which is quite cool. Hmm. it's interesting. I um as a a lifelong hobby photographer, a keen, passionate photographer, and somebody that's worked in in photography and developing color dyes and things for photographs back in the early days before digital. Um, it's it's something that I've kind of always been conscious of, but never really given thought to in terms of the marketing side of it and yet you know the photography i've always been very strong on having good photography that matching your messaging and matching your brand and and ideally don't use some um, stock photography unless it's something that is unique which is kind of the antithesis i guess of stock photography Yeah. Um, the um what i'm curious about is you talked about answering that question of what do you do? And typically, that conversation happens just in an, in an auditory sense. So how do, how do you bring in color into that?
1: Yeah, well, that question is all about a great first impression, isn't it? It's all about right. um, being able to say, you know, a brand statement instead of a, a job description. It's about being able to pique curiosity enough that there is a next step. That is a visual step, usually right most of our first impressions um, are online on places like our website, but if mm-hmm. you're having that physical conversation you know in person, the next step is going to be a business card or a website or an instagram page right that next step where they actually potentially are going to go learn more about you is going to be visual and so it's a chance for people you know that's where the message gets reinforced but I would say especially in the era that we're living in now where we're not physically together very much anymore. Mm. Um, So many of those first impressions are gonna be online. So especially somewhere like your website, being able to understand applied color psychology, create color harmony, it, you know, we, our brains process visual information 60,000 times faster than Mm. text, which I'm sure you probably already know. And that means that, you know, in the world we live in now, where we have two seconds, three seconds to get someone's attention before they bounce away, Um, it becomes really essential that we grab them first with that color and imagery before they even have time to read anything, right? So we all know that that all important headline is so important, but actually, so is the color palette. And it's not just about use blue, because it means trust. Um, Applied color psychology is all about looking at color physics, which is the harmony of colors together, making sure they're all in the right tonal group, and that that is the right tonal group for your brand personality type, because all of those things need to be aligned and consistent. Otherwise, you have that little jarring moment of, is this, <laughs> this, you know, there's yeah. something not quite, it doesn't land here. You're talking about trust, but I, this feels so cold. So like, how do I trust you? I,
0: I, yeah, I was just thinking of about three websites, that I could <laughs> probably name off the top of my head, where they're professional service businesses, and they're trying to um prevent uh trying to present a slightly casual laid back thing but when you jump on their website it's kind of very much like what you've just said and now people couldn't see the expression on your face or you you know tightening your your expression there but basically it, it said what
1: There's something not
0: <laughs> <Yuck."> right <here. laughs> yeah something not right here and you know it's just clashing colors now i you know from my point of view that to me was Simply understanding color physics rather than the branding you know the psychology of color and the branding, but the color physics, so I you know that that's an extreme example, so I can actually relate to that um but what what kind of things should we be paying attention to in terms of 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 that psychology of color and being aware of matching colors and what kind of things a color combination is actually saying um, Subconsciously, I suppose.
1: Well, I could talk to you about this all day. I mean, it's it's a long <laughs> conversation. Um, I do have a quiz which I'll give to you, so you can pop in the show notes um, where people can go find out their brand personality type. Um, because basically, what it comes down to in this um, theory of applied color psychology is that there are essentially four personality types and four tonal groups of color, and there's a correlation between each, um, and they're described using the seasons. So although it's different than sort of having your colors done, you know, as a as a person, it's kind of along the same lines of really understanding which one of these four groups you fall into as a brand. Um, and that's all based on a lot of this sort of Jung personality type archetype stuff, which is the same stuff that um, Myers-Briggs is based on. So it's there's these sort of spectrums of not exactly introverted and extroverted, but sort of, and sort of intensity of high and low intensity. and then when you come out and you know whether you're, you know, a spring, autumn, summer, or winter, it's not just looking at some of the characteristics of that, what that means about you, about how you show up, about language you use, about, um, about you know, the general sort of category that you fit into. And I sort of think of this as like quick fix, why finding. So instead of doing like all the deep work of figuring out who you really are, this is like, take a quiz and find out which of hmm. four groups you're in that's much easier and it, and it then speaks directly to color because there's a tonal group. Um, and when I, I say that, I mean, whether the colors are yellow based or blue based and whether or not they have black in them or not. So there's basically four, four groups with those variables that connect with each season. And you use the tonal group that is connected to your brand personality type. And you learn a lot about both yourself and how you need to show up to be consistent. But also that is the exact personality type you're going to attract. So you now know all this stuff about your ideal client and their psychographics because you know exactly what you're projecting very scientifically, not just based on, you know, how you and I would have done it for years before knowing this stuff of like instinct and and uh, sort of our own bias and our own likes and dislikes, because you and I will both have our own season. So we'll be drawn mm. to yellow based or blue based colors and whether or not they have the black in them. So that will get filtered down to any brand or, or photography that we would work on because of our own bias. Um, but this negates all of that. And it's like, here's a formula. If you like it, use it. <laughs> um, yeah. And it gives you so much information about these really key points. So actually, it's a really great great sort of you know quick fix. I talk a lot about having spent my whole career looking for really quick fixes for entrepreneurs. Yeah. And this is like the most powerful, quickest one I've actually found. And like you, I didn't really... Think that much about color is nice, and I enjoy it. But but it wasn't until I really started to study this and and apply it that I really could see the power of just how effective it is and how quickly. Hmm.
0: All right, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I I, I mean I've got um, a set of colors on my website, and I'm fairly strict about using those colors or or kind of matching variants of those, knowing color physics. Um, the colours themselves were done by a designer who did take into account um, psychological stuff in design, so in uh, Gestalt theory and that kind of thing in design. So I'm trusting her uh, instincts on that, but I don't know whether she actually went that deep um, to understand my particular style. And,
1: well, and what's that. really interesting about this is it's a really new, it's a really new sort of area mm-hmm. of of science. I um there are not a lot of big brands or designers who have gone this deep into this idea. And the thing that's really different about it is it's not just color psychology and it's not just color physics. It's the combination of the two. And what that actually means is that, again, we're not just looking at blue and its implications for our associations, which, you know, associations would be conscious. So, um, If you were to quiz people or do a survey, they would tell you blue is, is high quality. Sometimes there's an association with tech, um, with trust, with a lot of these sort of conscious things that we can say about blue. It's the world's mm. favorite color. Um, but what's actually happening subconsciously with blue is that it is mentally either soothing or stimulating for us depending on the color or the tone. And so it is triggering us mentally. Um, Whereas red is triggering us physically, green is kind of a balance, and yellow is an emotional um, uh, sort of trigger. So when we know those sort of psychological primaries, then we apply on top of that these tonal groups, because yellow isn't yellow, is yellow is yellow, right? There's a million different colors of yellow, and some of them are going to have these really positive psychological benefits, which are connected to um, happiness and self-esteem and self-confidence. And some of them are going to have the sort of shadow side of anxiety, depression, um, and that will depend on the color yellow and how much yellow we're using and what sort of space it's in. Is it a pop color on a website or are we in a room of a very blue, green, yellow and stuck there for days? You know, they're going to have very different impacts on us. So it's really it's funny how especially being a designer for 15 years, you didn't know this (laughs) and now knowing it. Um, it's really interesting how strict you have to be really, if you want to achieve this color harmony, which is what it's really all about, which is making sure that it's not just whether you're using blue, red, and green, because those are the right colors based on their psychology, but also the blue, red, and green from the right tonal group, which is based on, um, that color physics, that color harmony, which is what allows you to really create that, um, likely, you know, predictable behavior.
0: Hmm. How much does fashion play into this? because I know from my work in in um the paint industry, there was kind of a, a new color palette came out every year that was uh, based on the latest fashion and and of course that plays into uh, the clothing industry as well or the you know any any fabric or fashion industry, I guess. But there was a new colour palette each year and, and it was amazing that sometimes there was a huge shift in terms of the overall kind of patterns or palette. Um, what's the right word? The, the, the shades or whatever it was, whereas other years it was only a very, very subtle shift in, in the overall kind of shades. So how does a fashion play into that?
1: Yeah, I would say that 99.9% of the world <laughs> is not using applied color psychology. <laughs> um, so, for example, my mentor, Karen Holler, uh, who's based here in the UK uh, most of the time, <laughs> um, she works with a lot of paint companies, and they'll bring her in to sort of give her opinion, but they'll also work with other sort of trendsetters and forecasters. And I would say trends in fashion and um, a lot of other things have pretty much nothing to do with applied color psychology what's really interesting then is how brands either adopt or don't adopt those trends if you know you know what your color harmony is your tonal group you know whether or not that color is for you or whether you need to stay away from it and i think without that structure it's really easy for us to get shiny object syndrome so for example mm-hmm. we were talking about imagery right and how important it is to have your own sort of images done if you can especially i think if you're the product right if you're A coach or a healer or something and you're the person they're you're the thing they're buying then having a you know great photography of you is really important well if you want to use this model then it's very important that in those images what you're wearing and certainly the Mm. backgrounds and the environments that you're in fit your color group (laughs) and i mean quite perfectly (laughs) it's like Mm. really so like for example in a winter This is black and white, magenta, yellow, these really blue-based, cold colors, no black in them. You're not going to want to go out as a winter brand and um, be photographed in the grass or in the park because those colors are going to be so wrong for what you're trying to achieve with the harmony on your website. You're going to want white backgrounds, black backgrounds, probably more studio or more really clean, modern aspirational environments. Um whereas if you're a spring or even potentially an autumn, doing something outside with grass, dirt, et cetera, is a little more appropriate and it's gonna fit your tonal group better. So one of the things I advise on with people is is <laughs> how to advise their photographer to make sure that the images mm. that they get match. And a huge part of that is what you're wearing. And that can be as I've discovered, as I've recently discovered, I'm in autumn and I'm trying I'm wearing black today, which is not a good color for me, you know, trying to go out and find clothes that fit what you should actually be um, wearing and fit your brand can be very challenging based on those trends that you described. And it can be very difficult to find stuff to buy and to wear that actually, you know, fits you, fits your brand. So that is definitely a challenge. And it's the same with interior design and being able to find the couch or the paint color that actually will create the harmony that you're looking for. It's, it's, the struggle is real.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, didn't uh, expect this to go into a discussion no, on colour and colour psychology, but there we go. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's, um, it's certainly an area that I'm uh, I'm quite excited, get quite excited about, as you can tell. Um, now, one of the things that uh, you also do is is podcasts. So you're the host of the Magic Maker podcast, and I'm intrigued by that title. So how did that come about? What's a magic maker, and what's what's the podcast about?
1: Yeah, it's funny, I, it's the marketing side of me, I have to fight a little bit. And I may, I may rebrand it at some point, but um, because, you know, podcast should sort of say what you do, right? <laughs> um, which this one doesn't at all. But what I sort of discovered as I was making that transition out of the pet space into working with all entrepreneurs and looking for my niche there, because um, you can't just help all entrepreneurs, can you? Um, is I started to discover that the people um, that were really drawn to me believed in magic. And that showed up in a lot of different ways. It was um, people who are quite spiritual and believe in the unseen and the universe and manifesting. It was a huge group of Harry Potter fans, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. people who are, you know, using um, lots of energy modalities like EFT and Reiki um, and all these little breadcrumbs sort of came along as I was looking to rebrand. And I realized that actually this idea of magic, creating magic was a huge um, commonality between all the very different people in my audience that was separate from being in the pet space. And, and it was true for me too, that this was something that was really important to me. And I realized, and this continues to be truer and truer as I get clearer on what I do and how I do it is that I, use and rely on and believe in such a huge blend of art and science both and to me that's kind of what magic is it's a combination of using the very practical very tangible um you know tools that that science can give us and prove and roi and all those things which are so important for a business and then all this like intangible hard to explain hard to describe beautiful stuff um, in terms of the energy work and art and photography and light and, and color in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, just all the things that make life so beautiful. And especially when you're building a brand, you need both, you can you can't just have one, you really need both for it to be an effective business strategy. Um, and so that was kind of where I got to this idea of magic. And um, we have a manifesto, a magic maker manifesto, which is do good, be real, find happy, and build brands that matter. And for me, it really comes down to that whole idea of wanting to find freedom and fulfillment instead of just, as you said, create a job for yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that's a conscious choice you have to make, right? It's the default for an entrepreneur is to work more and harder and longer than they did in their corporate job, if that's where they come from, Um but it doesn't have to be that way. And I believe that building a brand is the perfect strategy to avoid that for all the reasons I mentioned about aligning what you're good at, making it easier, making marketing easier, being able to charge more, you know, all the all the reasons to build a brand um instead of just the business. And to me, that's a magic process. But also for me, it was kind of about turning off or eliminating people who are turned off by the word magic. Because, you know, I think there are there's a lot of schools of a lot of thought, especially when it comes to marketing, and I am super anti-hustle so i am not in the like hustle 24 7 camp and i really wanted to attract people who are much more into understanding that mindset is the first law of entrepreneurship and it has so much to do with our success and results and so much of that can't be quantified um, and is difficult to create roi on directly um, but it's important
0: Mm. yeah well it comes back I mean, I I love so much about that because it's to me, it's the I mean, there's the there's a lot of science in that even even in some of the soft skills you mentioned or some of the softer side, the more creative side, the more magic or artistic side that perhaps of that equation that that to me is still science. And maybe that's because I'm a scientist by training the the. um. Yeah the the interesting thing is the combination of of those things the of the behavioral side the human behavioral side the creativity side the joy the understanding self and understanding how that contribution drives you how that motivates you and and which is where we started our conversation you yeah, understanding what your why is and the why mapping um, is, is such a core part of it. And so combining that with the scientific principles, then to me is, is the core of all of this. And coming back to the point of hustle, if you get it all right, um, and, and you make the choice to work 24 seven, it doesn't become work. It's kind of like, I, I love doing this. So why wouldn't I do it every waking hour?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the whole point of freedom and fulfillment is you have the freedom to spend your time however you want. It's the difference between having mm. to do it 24-7 that's right. mm. and having the freedom to do it 24-7 because it lights you up and you love it. And and that's the core differentiator for me Um, is being able to fund your freedom so that you can spend your time the way that you choose. And if that means that you want to work on your business all the time, because you love it so much, like, I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> mm. Um, you know, if if that's what really lights you up then absolutely, but you don't want to have to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the core point. It's the choice. Yeah. Having the choice. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, this is fabulous. I could go on talking forever <laughs> about color and we haven't even touched on a lot of the other things. So <laughs> we might have to do a, a episode two at some point. Um, I'm just, cognizant of the time and think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz which is our innovation round and it's designed to help our audience who are primarily innovators and leaders in their field with some tips from your experience so i have five questions and hopefully you'll give us some insightful answers and that will inspire our audience to go and do something awesome today as a result awesome okay now what's the number one thing you think anyone needs to do to be more innovative?
1: Uh, You've got to let go of perfectionism. (laughs) You have to be willing to make mistakes. I think for me, that has been a really difficult part of my journey. And what that looks like for me is really learning how to lean into your intuition and what feels good. Um, And I've never had a problem taking risks. So a big part of that is risk taking and not needing to be completely safe all the time. And I think the other part of that is leaning into your intuition and leaning into a bit of that magic. And not being up in your head all the time, which can be very hard for a lot of us overachievers.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. So when you say leaning into your intuition, what what do you mean by that? Is that more having more trust of this this is something I want to try and, and this will work or is yeah, it
1: partly it's about self-trust and really learning to listen to yourself over the other noise, whether that's, you know, your partner or your friends or the outside world. Listening to your gut, um, you know Martha Beck talks about you're using your body as a compass and being able to drop into your body when you make decisions and see how you react when you consider options, you know that sort of thing. I think Mm. wildly useful when you're trying to do uh, certainly more useful than getting into that analysis paralysis of trying to know all the things and make the perfect decision. Um, so I think, yeah, for me it's been a it's been a pendulum swing of of trying to be perfect to trying to Listen and be aligned with what I know to be true, even if it's scary. And that's where the risk taking comes in of being able to take risks. Um, And, you know, that's an inherent part of being a good entrepreneur. We are, we fly in the face of uncertainty, right? That's, that's Mm. the deal. Um, And that can be really scary.
0: Mm. And, and a lot of the learning comes from things that go wrong. A hundred, not necessarily, it's not necessarily failure, it's just another lesson.
1: Yeah, I think it was last year, Amy Porterfield was talking about how her goal was to make like 100 big failures for the year. (laughs) And I thought that was so brilliant. I think that's exactly how it needs to to be.
0: Right. All right, now what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas?
1: So I, I mentioned earlier that once you find your why, the best thing you can do is start building an audience, and I think the best thing you can do to innovate new products is to listen to your audience. You know, especially mm-hmm. when it's an audience you've curated based on you know your unique skills and resources, and yeah. what you believe is to listen to their problems, listen to what they need from you. And um, Jeff Walker talks about like imagining the best possible perfect solution to the problem, and then creating the best as close as you can get. And then continuing to iterate and improve until you can get close to that perfect solution. And uh, that's that's exactly what I believe as well, that listening to the problem and doing the best you can to solve that problem in the best way you can to start with, knowing that it it might not be perfect. And for me, that's the idea of the minimum viable product, right? It's mm. listen, throw something out there and test it before you heavily invest in you know the name and the branding, and it, making it perfect, and doing the whole course, and all that kind of thing. You you throw a beta group together, you test it, see if it resonates, get feedback, and then you can build it into something bigger. That's my favorite strategy.
0: Yeah, and of course, having a community is, is the great, is the perfect place to do that. Absolutely. So I, I did want to actually um, cycle back to that one because I, I it occurred to me when you mentioned it earlier in our conversation, and uh, I. Kind of got distracted with color, I think. Um, and that's where your preferred place is to set up community. Because one of the things that I'm finding, and I've probably, it's probably nearly two years now that I've kind of taken a complete Facebook diet. And I always hate it when somebody says, Oh, you know, we've got this community on. If I buy a training program, they say, yeah. Okay, you have to be part of this Facebook community to to have the conversation and share, share experience with the other students. And I think, oh, no, I have to go back onto Facebook again. So what, what's your preferred um, place to build those communities?
1: Yeah, I think that's such an interesting conversation. It's been coming up a lot, like in, in, in my, in, um, masterminds that I'm a part of and also masterminds that I host. Uh, this idea of you know can we can we grow our business without Facebook and Instagram because I hate being there so that's like a whole nother side conversation that I think is interesting and I'm hearing it get louder and louder so I think there will be a time when we need to really think about that right now however I still feel like you got to meet people where they are and most people are on mm. Facebook and so getting someone to come on to another platform is a
0: huge huge leap yeah, that's, a big ask that's yeah. that's the big problem, isn't it? it yeah. it's kind of um, people are on on Facebook, uh, but well,
1: and yeah, Facebook ads are still so powerful that if you you know get people to watch your videos, you can remarket to them in advertising mm-hmm. when it is time to launch. So, my advice still is to create that free Facebook group, and I I know that there's friction there, um, and I certainly am not a huge <laughs> fan of spending time on Facebook either. But I have heard from you know students who either start a Facebook group just to go into that group or Facebook page just to go into that group, or um, they just don't spend any time in their feed and they just, you know, spend time in the groups that are connected with, you know, the courses or, or programs that they're a part of. So it isn't a perfect solution, but it's fast, it's free, um, and it's somewhere where people already are. So it, it mm. you know, eliminates that extra inertia of having to get them somewhere else. Yeah.
0: All right. Oh, that's an interesting perspective. Okay, now what's a favorite resource that you use most often?
1: Okay, so this question uh, you were asking about innovation and specifically about productivity, right? Um, in terms of resource or what sort of resource do you mean?
0: Well, it's up to you.
1: <laughs> okay, so um, I the first thing that came to me um, when I was reviewing these questions was the idea of of productivity and that's like one of the things that most people um ask for in most audiences is Mm -hmm. i need that that tool for more being more productive and again for me that comes straight back to mindset and energy and again that has been a long journey for me i would not have said that like five years ago i would have been like give me an app give me a
0: course
1: (laughs) you know Um, but now really the way that I know I have to manage my productivity is trying to do whatever I can to get myself back into a slow state. And for me, that requires sleep, exercise, mental space. And unfortunately, because I've railed against this my whole life structure, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) because I feel like nothing gives us more freedom than structure actually, because we don't want to feel guilty about what we're doing or not doing. And I've, I've found, especially with a lot of the women that I work with, it's never enough, right? Whatever you achieve in a day is never enough. You always feel guilty and having that structure and having a system for knowing exactly what your spaces are to do that bigger, expansive, creative working on the business instead of in the business work is what keeps you closer to that flow state. It's where you get that satisfaction. And if you are only ever checking, you know, things off the to-do list, you don't get that satisfaction, which then gives you more guilt, which then turns, you know, just turns the whole, Flow state off, and I think it's that idea of of being in in creativity or reactivity. And we spend so much time as entrepreneurs in reactivity. And I think productivity is really about that's a lot of itty words. (laughs) Productivity, creativity. I think productivity really is about being closer to that flow state and being in a more creative state. Um, And that is one of the things I find with why finding is when people get it when it clicks, they get into that flow state for a period of days or weeks where it all comes out, right? They're writing all these blog posts and they're creating all these products and because they have tapped into something that is natural and inherent. And I think that that's the secret is not forcing it. And that requires some, some structure. <laughs> I hate saying that as someone who doesn't like it, but um, yeah, for me, that's where freedom is found, which is where um, feeling like I can actually get so much more done in such a smaller space of time. And also that means turning off when it's not working and not forcing it and going to take that rest or walk or bath or spend time with my kid or whatever.
0: <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, lo- I love you know, coming back to this idea of working on your own mindset first as a way to get into that flow state and and then overlay that with some structure. Um, and a little bit of discipline i guess is part of the structure but the paradox of that is that you know people are looking for the shortcut or the magic one that's going to solve their productivity problem and yet that is the secret that's the secret to it yeah and i
1: relate to that because like i said i was that person for like probably 10 years <laughs> like i just yeah, yeah. but that that thinking comes from a scarcity mindset it comes from the belief and obsession with feeling like there isn't enough time And so you need the quick hack and you have to do it faster because you're in a state of feeling like such incredible pressure on your time, probably on your money as well. And it's that sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of like the more you feel that way, the more it becomes true. And so having to kind of oftentimes what I find is having to really fly in the face of that and resting when you feel like you've got the most on, you know, when you're feeling the most obsessed with that sort of scarcity, I can't, I can't, there's not enough, there's not enough that's when you need to stop and pause, rest, do some of that energy work because it's amazing how untrue it is when you are able to step outside of it, but when you're yeah. in it, it's horrible. So yeah, it's that's another really hard earned lesson for me.
0: Yeah. I, I probably came from the other extreme of that and uh, had you know, lots of structure and lots of discipline and very scientific around yeah. building a system of productivity and yet, the trap there is you just keep adding more to the list.
1: And, yeah, absolutely. The
0: There's list keeps growing and gets bigger and you just never really get um, get through the list and then you get frustrated because the list, you know, you've done a lot of things, but the list is still hugely long and absolutely. never gets any smaller. So I've I've discovered that the, you know, the, the key element there is really just getting into that flow state, getting to know, I mean, getting really clear about your why, which you've talked quite a lot about, but then also um, being aware of your own preferences, your own frailties, your own um, you know, uh, drivers and desires and core needs. What's, you know, what core need is this particular behavior that I'm displaying right now, being that self-aware and saying, what, what's that addressing? And is there a better way that I can meet that core need? Um, that, that to me was the, the bit that was missing for a long time.
1: Mm, yeah, I love that. It's it's like allowing it to be true as well, instead of genuinely mm. fighting against it, working with it, instead of trying to change who you are fundamentally. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah. Okay. So what's the best way to keep a client on track?
1: Um, I love this question, because this is another one of those things I feel like I really learned the hard way over many years of trying to entrepreneur. Um, And one of the things I've discovered is this is all about support this is all about support. And I was a person who was like, my mom loves to tell the story about like my first sentence was I can do it myself. (laughs) And unfortunately I've been blessed with a daughter who's exactly the same way from four months old. (laughs) Um, But that there's no, there's no awards for that, right? There's no medals for doing it all yourself. And that hero complex we get into because we can is really toxic. So um, I've sort of discovered over the years that that entrepreneurs thrive best and get the best results with three levels of support. And I call it the above around and below support. And when you get each one of those, it's a big milestone for your business. When you get the above support of someone like a coach or a mentor for the first time, and they're able to give you a plan, a strategy, and a whole bunch of confidence, <laughs> um, and make a big investment oftentimes, which can be quite scary, but very motivating, To create really big transformation that's huge getting the around support which is that um, peer group or community it's often free or very inexpensive who are kind of people who commiserate they get it they they can help support you Um, I love sort of peer-to-peer masterminds for that that kind of thing I've been doing that with a friend every Friday for years now because I found that so effective and then the below support which is another huge milestone for business owners when you hire that bookkeeper for the first time, you hire that assistant for the first time, you understand that you grow only when you start to outsource and delegate things and you have great people that you can do that with. And when you get all three of those at the same time, I feel like it can make you really, really unstoppable.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, there's. I mean, I've never heard anybody presented in that way that it's, you know, there's that, that surround the surround support if you like, um three sixty degree support. The um idea of the peer group is really important, I think, for accountability as well. Yep. Um the That's value right. of the coach, you know, we've we've talked about that a lot on on this show with various people, the value of the coach. And then the other people have mentioned outsourcing things that and not your core expertise or not the best use of your time because when you come back to what we we're talking about earlier the why and where you add the most value that's where you should be spending your time
1: absolutely and i think there's two core things there one everything i said is absolutely about accountability from all those different levels right you're accountable to getting the stuff to the bookkeeper you're accountable to your mm-hmm. peer group to show up um you're certainly accountable to your coach to do the work um so that's huge and i think the other thing that I mentioned is this being a milestone, the mental shift and the, the sort of identity change that you have to allow to go from being solo, that solopreneur, scrappy entrepreneur mindset into someone who delegates, someone who has a coach and someone who has a peer group is a huge growing up moment. <laughs> all of those are huge growing up moments and you know james wedmore talks about like the um the the entrepreneur must die so the digital ceo can rise and i i really reacted to that when i first heard it viscerally and was like i'm an entrepreneur i'll be an entrepreneur until i die i don't want to be a ceo that's why i don't have a corporate job and that was an interesting experience to acknowledge my own reaction but actually when i thought about it i thought it was such a beautiful way to explain that exact transition of starting to think of yourself as this sort of visionary leader which is what you need to be in order to grow a business or a brand that is actually going to fund your freedom Um, you have to first acknowledge that you want that freedom and start giving it to yourself which are choices you can make now even when you're not really making any money in your business um, because it's a lot cheaper and faster and easier than you think and you're only ever going to scale when you accept that this is part of the deal
0: Yeah. yeah yeah that's great advice all right, and I think this question we've addressed quite a bit, but I'll ask it again anyway. And and that's what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves.
1: You got to find your why. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You got to be able to sell why you do what you do instead of just what. Um, which again, of course, comes back to that uh, concept by Simon Sinek of people don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. And it's two pieces of that, right? It's it's being able to differentiate yourself so you can have success. Right. It's a huge part of being successful in standing out in a crowded space, in making more money, in having more profitability, in being able to attract and retain top talent. All those things require differentiation. But it's also for me about that piece of being an entrepreneur who likes your life, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. of, of being able to be working in purpose. Because um, there are a lot of people making millions on the internet who aren't happy. <laughs> and yeah. you know, they've built this great business that absolutely doesn't fulfill them at all. It's just they found a great niche, they found a great gap in the market, they built it, they did it, it's amazing. Then they're asking the question, what's next? And that's mm. where this, you know, find your why kind of comes in again because it's like, well, you know how to build a business, like why don't you do that? as a brand and build something that actually matters to you (laughs) Um, now that you know you can do that so i think at every level for every entrepreneur that that's the key for me is is investing the energy and the the time to really explore those questions
0: yeah i love it and we've discussed that at great length today so i don't think we need to revisit that again so thanks Nick, for all that you've shared today, this has been really wonderful. Now, where can people find out more about you and, and your work and your podcast and maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you've shared today?
1: Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Smith and that's J-N-I-C-H-O-L-E, Smith. Um, the quiz I mentioned, I'll pop over to you for the show notes, but it's com slash quiz. Um, and that's where you can go find your brand personality type. So I would definitely recommend everyone do that. It's kind of a fun little thing to find out. And also it will help inform um, your colors. So if you want to geek out on colors like Juergen and I did, then you can uh, go check that out. Um, those are the two best places probably to start.
0: Great. All right. And we'll have links to those on the show notes. So do you have some parting advice for our listeners today? Ooh. Um I think the thing that's
1: just come up for me is really, especially in, in relation to this idea of, of innovation, is really noticing when you're snapping from that creative space to that reactive space and anything that you're doing that feels con- incredibly reactive. So, for example, email, <laughs> just constantly checking the email and responding to that before anything else is really it's a really good indicator for me that you're not actually achieving much in your business you're just going through the motions right and achieving busy work so <clears throat> i guess the thing i would leave that is is a practical actionable thing is kind of keeping that that difference between being within creativity and being within reactivity and when you're noticing that you're reactive 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 taking a stop taking a pause and doing something to get you back into that creative space that just feels really good because um, ultimately that's where the magic happens
0: hmm. yeah i love it i've um, i've taken actually the last couple of weeks i've um shut down email i've actually closed the email window um, for the whole day and then sort of at the end of the day for about half an hour before i wrap up for the day and and that's kind of probably the lowest energy point of the day for me work-wise i'll open up the email and i'll go through my email and i have had the occasional person say haven't you seen my email? And I say, well, no, I haven't opened email yet today. <laughs> um, but but actually the world hasn't stopped. So, And and I've gotten a lot more done. So it's um, it,
1: amazing, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> mm. It's hard to sort of have that self-control, I think, to do that. But um, yeah, I've fully outsourced my email now. So I spend very little time in my inbox, which is the greatest thing I've ever done. Mm. And exactly that. The world's not going to burn down. There's no such thing as an urgent email right people are going to find another way to get a hold of it. that's
0: right yeah well i do have some i do have somebody looking at it for me so if there is a super urgent one they will let me know exactly and i, I figure i've got to trust that process now so i'm just gonna ignore it for most of the day until until i get to the end of the day and then sort of it's more curiosity oh okay there's something to read
1: it's that below support as well isn't it that's a really key one um Mm. is is having that person who can who can take that thing off because like you said it doesn't really add any value to your business
0: (laughs) that's right yeah all right well thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights with us today actually i need to ask you one more question and that's who else should i get on this show and why
1: Oh, yeah. So um, I think it would be really interesting for you to interview um, Dr. Romy Mushtaq. She is founder of BrainShift, and she talks all about the mind science of workplace wellness. So she's this incredible um, woman who is a brain doctor, but who is also into integrative medicine and talks a lot about our mental health and um, is very much living in her why of coming from these two different sides of this sort of mindfulness and uh, neurology. So she's super charismatic, lovely, and has a lot to offer on the topic of, I think especially with the state of the world today, um, a lot of great advice for us about how to to navigate all this stuff, which is uh, an important part of that innovation is being able to (laughs) keep our heads straight
0: great well I uh, uh, we'll get an introduction from you to rome that sounds fascinating uh one of the things i'm kind of curious about and it's become a little bit of a hobby is neuroscience so I'm
1: oh you'll love it
0: really keen to have that conversation with her yeah all right well great. thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights with us so generously today i've really enjoyed our conversation i think we're, there's probably another conversation in in us together and um, maybe we'll follow up on that a little bit down the track. So all the best for the future and let's stay in touch.
1: Thanks. Sounds great. Thanks for having me.
0: I hope you enjoyed that delightful and informative conversation with Nick and took something away from her episode. I was certainly fascinated about how colour psychology plays into all aspects of marketing and Nick's advice to build an audience around your why. I'd love to know what you took away from Nick's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Nick Smith. That is N-I-C-S-M-I-T-H or lowercase, or one word, in overbiz.co forward slash Nick Smith. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Nick, as well as links to her website, the Magic Maker podcast, her social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in today's conversation. Now, if you like this episode, please share it with two other people through the social media, two other people that you think it might help. Tag me in on that share and I'll reach out to you with a special surprise. Nick suggested that we have a conversation with Dr. Romy Mushtak, a neurologist, mindfulness teacher and a keynote speaker on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Romy, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Nick Smith. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast where we've got more fantastic guests lined up, including poly innovator Dustin Miller and photographer John D'Amato. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to InnovaBiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centred, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember... Be awesome and keep innovating.